Exceeding Expectations, episode 40. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on how you can give better experiences to your customers in order to get better testimonials, more referrals, more rebookings. In this episode, we talk with Delano Johnson, who grew up in the Bahamas, but has lived in New York for the past few decades. And he's done quite a few things in his life, including taking the online division of Toys R Us from $50 million a year to $750 million a year in just two years, around about 10 years ago. He's also worked with Walmart. He worked with the whole country of Algeria, uh, raising their profile. Um, so he's had quite an interesting life. If it would be great if you could leave a review for Exceeding Expectations on iTunes or any of the other platforms. And if you've got any questions, if you'd like to hear a particular guest interviewed, please do contact us. You can do via email on tony at exceedingexpectations.me.me or just go on to the uh, Exceeding Expectations Facebook group and post something in there. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Uh, here's Delana. Exceeding expectations in the guest this week, Delano Johnson. How are you, Delano? Oh, man, I'm doing good. Improving by the second, Tony. <laughs> and you're over in the Big Apple. Yes, Manhattan, the city that never sleeps. <laughs> and and yet, you, you grew up in the Bahamas, which is paradise. What, what I know, you go right? To... <laughs> it's, it's totally crazy. It's, it's totally unacceptable, right? I came from eternal summer. To eternal awakeness. <laughs> and so how, I mean, I imagine it, it's pretty different to go from New York, well, to New York from the Bahamas. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was somewhat of a culture shock in the beginning. Um, you know, I'm used to friendliness and, you know, you know, people on the streets who you don't know offering you a, a cup of lemonade if you're poshed and thirsty, right? <laughs> so, mm. and, and New York is everyone's walking you know, straight towards their their goal. I got to get to this point. I got to get to that meeting, and everyone's just straight and focused, and and, and without any conversation or minimal conversation. So coming into that was a bit of a culture shock, but I think it fit. Uh, New York fits my my drive and personality. Sometimes where you are, you can mm-hmm. outgrow that based upon where you're going. One of my mentors said to me that um, uh, environment is more important and more powerful than willpower. Mm-hmm. Environment is more powerful than willpower. So, so when you decide that you want to do something and you got to be around people who are focused, you got to be around people who are laser focused um, and all about getting to that goal, getting to that that defines success. So I think New York presented that it, and, and it pushed me beyond the limits. They say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I believe that to be, to be true. And, and I would imagine, I mean, I spent quite a few, bit of time in different places around the equator and I imagine the Bahamas is sort of pretty laid back. So it'd be a very oh. different experience business-wise. Everything cool, man. Right? Yeah, Everything exactly. Cool. Yeah. Hey, man, ain't nothing happening. No worries. No, don't worry about that. You know, that's how yeah. we go. Everything. Yeah. And now I go home and I'm like, come on, can we speed it up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, let's get off of island time and let's speed it up a little bit. But it's, 
but but it's two different worlds but uh but but it but it lends itself to different perspectives and so i'm able to use those perspectives mm-hmm. um to make my decisions in business and in life uh, even better so so they're different but they're both valuable mm. so when you when you first went to new york what was what did you first start doing business wise Business-wise, I tell you, I was doing you know odds and end jobs just to survive in the beginning. I there was a handyman, my uh, my ex-wife, who uh, who they knew as a, a member of uh, a friend of the family, and uh, I I cleaned gutters, I I shoveled snow. I mean, I, I moved over here in ninety uh, end of ninety five, moving into ninety six, which re- which recorded. That year was the, I think it's the second worst blizzard New York has had. <laughs> so I'm, so my introduction to New York was shoveling snow hmm. and dealing with the blizzard. Now, Tony, the, the only thing I've seen in white mass, right, on floor level was sand. Right. <laughs> so, so now I'm coming to all this snow and I got to shovel a driveway. Oh my gosh! So, so, so of course I made some money doing that, and um, just odds and end job. And then when the when the winter was over, it was uh, it was time to cut grass, and that's what I did. You know, um, cleaning floors. I did whatever I could do mm-hmm. uh, until the opportunities uh, that opportunities presented itself. And so, where did you go from there? So, so from there, I. I joined a company. There was a friend of mine who told me about this company. It was a multi-level marketing company. And um, I didn't know too much about it. We didn't have anything that sophisticated. Like, well, even though we have a lot of those companies that do well in the island, I said, when I was growing up, we didn't, we heard, I mean, we knew about Amway and the, all the others. But but this one was a, was a buying um, a club. And I went there, they did the pitch. It sounded very interesting. And more than anything else, I had an opportunity to get out and meet people, right? So, mm. so that's what I love about it, going out and meeting people. And then the game of closing a deal, presenting an option and closing a deal, getting a client to, to either recognize that they need this and don't have it and better get it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, or this is something they may need in the future. So it was it was a, it was a real game. So I I did that for a few and did, did pretty decent in it, um, and uh, and moved on from there. Uh, there were other jobs um, uh, that was available. One of my skill sets, um, what I did back in the Bahamas, was graphic designs, and so I went at a local church, Agape Family Worship Center in Raleigh, New Jersey. Um, and uh, and they needed graphic designs, and this was something I did. Mm-hmm. And so I offered the service, and you know I did it well enough where they offered me a job, and um, and so that's where my graphic design skills um, just grew and flourish. And in the next few years, I started my own business. I think within three years, two mm-hmm. years maybe, I started my own business and um, had big clients. Um, Fortune 500 clients from there until today. And then you, so what, in the 2000s, you ended up in Toys R Us? Yeah, yeah. So so, so the story goes, uh, 
you know, part of part of what I didn't say in terms of the history coming from the Bahamas, I was also a musician. Mm-hmm. I traveled from the Bahamas. We traveled, you know, around the world. Um, we did phenomenally well, exceptionally well. And, and um, you know, uh, I moved to the U.S. Um, um, after that, uh, we were kind of like the band that disbanded a bit. And so... You know, one of the reasons why I decided to come over here was because, you know, I wanted to explore music. I wanted to explore my other gifts and talents and see what, you know, what I could make of it. So, so I also ha- had the music aspect of it um, hmm. that I did. I traveled. I had an album out. And, you know, the, my group, we were Grammy nominated uh, for, for album of the year on the compilation with Motown Comes Home with Smokey Robinson, um, Stevie Wonder. Uh, Howard Hewitt. So it was, a, it was an awesome opportunity. Mm. And so, so I met a lot of people. And so I had some relationships here because we did a few concerts in New Jersey. Mm. Um, so, so in doing that, uh, uh, I, I, I had a, a friend who actually worked at a, a staffing agency and he gave me a call. This was after I was, I sold my, my graphic design company. And he said, "Hey, listen. Um, I know you're interested in in um, the the merchandising and, and 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 toys, developing toys and ideas." He said, "I have a, a company that you may be interested in." And I said, "Well, tell me about it." So he said, "I want you to say yes first. And I'm like, "I'm like, I'm like no, come on, Paul." And so he said, "He said, I promise you, this would be a good one." So I, at that point, after I sold. Company. I was really looking for something solid um, and uh, running out of money, you know, so I was looking for something solid and, and, uh, and I said, well, yes. And he said, great. So he sent me the information. It was Toys R Us. I got three kids. So I never told him where I was going. I just mm-hmm. went, went on an interview. They hired me on the spot and, and, wh- and it was awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. So I was hired as the online creative manager, which meant that I oversaw all of the e-commerce and m-commerce platforms, as well as Toys R Us was in a very aggressive acquisition period at that time when I came in. Mm. So with my branding background, I I was responsible for all of the acquisition brands. So at that time, we swallowed up like um, Baby Universe, uh, E-Toys, and um, FAO Shorts at that time, which was a very, very prestigious brand. I mean, it's the, you know, it's it's the Fifth Avenue of, of toys, right? Mm. Um, it's the um, the Saks Fifth <laughs> Avenue of, of toys. And so, so that was a very, very um, awesome project to, to work on and, and a brand to actually reshape for the online front. And, and so you, you were pretty successful there. It seems like, cause you were telling me about, you went from 50 million a year to 700 and 750 million a year. Yeah. So in that time, um, it was a perfect time because there was tremendous growth happening for the internet sales. Um, people were becoming a little bit, you know, more used to, um, uh, to purchasing online and having things shipped to, shipped to them without seeing it. So, and then this was the, 
This was the introduction of comparative pricing online. So this is where Trivago and all these other um, websites kind of was born out of that that time, hmm. 2008. So so there was there was some really rapid growth, and we needed to see how we can harness that. We partnered with with a few companies, and my department was responsible for creating all of the creatives and managing the brands and the offers, creating the language, how we offer particular offers, how we say it, how we language it. Um, and so with the acquisition, um, my department helped facilitate the, the, the entire .com um, division to go from 50 million to 750 million. So wow. that, was pretty, that was pretty remarkable. Um, mm. We were a small group. I um, had uh, four direct reports and also there was a division of the programmers um, that really worked along with us and and helped to foster the technology for the offers that we wanted to do. And so it was fun. I got a chance to work with Disney and Sony and, you know, all of the big brands, um, mm. Mattel, of course, and anytime a major um, movie would come out like a Transformers, you know, it was always represented in the store. So, so we had to convert those in-store offers into online offers and, uh, and, and create an experience for customers so that, you know, we are able to, to raise, um, you know, demand and, and, uh, and generate more revenue. So, so that was an mm. awesome time. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and talking, you know, I mean, you obviously dealing with toys there and you've told me a story about when you were, you learned quite a bit as an eight year old. So what, what was that story? Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it seemed like at eight years old, a lot of stuff happened that, you know, sometimes you look back in your life and, and you think it's, you know, you're, you're just here and you're just wandering. And, but when you look back, at, at the major points, well, you notice that there were major points. Mm-hmm. Um, there were also m- major people, and and then there was also major pain, mm-hmm. right? So points, people, and pain. For me, at eight years old, is when I really got a vision for my life. It's like I had a dream, and I felt like I was I was here to do something. Like I was just not here existing, but I was here to create a life. Um, not just for me, but for my kids and to inspire people around. And I think I owe a lot of that to my mother um, and, and, and my father, and even though he was not a present um, in the home and, and very quiet, very few conversations with my father. Um, um, but, but at eight, I remember I was visiting uh, my dad. He was the food and beverage manager and the executive chef of Tudor major hotels on the island, the kind Harbor Inn and the kind Bay. And so when we would go to the hotel, you know, everyone knew that, you know, we were Chef Johnson's kids. So they treated us, you know, really like, hey, you guys want anything? You know, you can go go here in the kitchen, get anything or tell, you know, tell the sous chef what you want, he'll make it for you. So so that was awesome because we, we, we got the rich, like we got to live like, you know, like like Arnold on the on the different strokes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or Richie Rich, and um, so 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 that was that was really cool. But this particular day, I was going in the store, and I had I had I remember my dad gave me ten dollars, which was a lot of money back mm. then. And and so I went into the store, and I was I was buying a a, a chico stick and some pop rocks. 
<laughs> Chick was taking pop rocks, right? And mm-hmm. I'm eight years old, and I pulled money out of my pocket, and it was all crumbled. So there was a guy, one of my father's, I don't, I don't remember if he was actually a father of my father's friend, but I knew I saw him around a couple times. But obviously he knew, he knew who I was and, and he saw me took this crumble of, you know, bunch of dollars out of my pocket to pay for the candy that I wanted. And he stopped me. He says, yo, man, he says, he says, why is your money crumpled up? And I said, I just pulled it out of my pocket. He said, well, he said, young men don't crumple up their money. They fold it. Mm. And then he showed me how to fold a dollar and then to place it in my pocket. And he says, you know, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be, you know, a businessman. I want to be a businessman. I want to, and uh, I think I said I wanted to sing too at that time. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, great. And he gave me some advice that, that really changed my life. Now I didn't totally understand it. And to this day, I really won't, I don't understand why someone would give an eight year old this type of advice. <laughs> but one of the things he said to me was one, he said, well, if you're going to be a boss, you're going to be an owner. Always remember, treat the people that work for you fairly, treat them well. And I looked at him and I'm like, okay, I got it. Figure it out. Okay. Treat people good, right? That's something mm-hmm. I know. I, I've had to practice that. My mother always told me that. So, but he said, treat people fairly, treat them well. Mm-hmm. And then he said this principle here. He said, and then remember this rule. He says, one up, one down. He says, whenever people expect something from you, give them something better. And whatever charge they expect from you, give them something lower. He said, if you do this, he said that you will have great customers and you will always be in business. Now I'm so, eight. I'm going to say, how did you react as an eight-year-old to that? I, I, here's, here's, here's the interesting thing, Tony. I didn't even remember that until eight years later. Hmm. When I really, you know, sometimes people say things to us or give us something and it's not for now, it's for later. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's like a time release capsule when it's needed. The revelation of what it means uh, becomes clear. So you can apply the principle and see, you know, promises from it. Right. Hmm. So for me, uh, eight years later, removed from that, from that conversation, well, not much of a conversation is me, me listening to this, this man who's towering over me and I'm eight years old and he's just giving me his principles. For some reason, he felt it necessary to say that. But here I am, I'm eight years old. I mean, I'm, I'm now 16 years old. I'm working mm-hmm. at a restaurant and I, and I figured out, Tony, my job as a waiter was to give the customers who dine a great experience. Mm-hmm. Now, I worked at a five-star restaurant. It was, you know, blue plate, gourmet, um, um, very high end. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of affluent um, tourists that would come to the island, and they would always come. They would always be. There was about three or four islands that was very exclusive. So in high school, I was a waiter there. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if I did a little bit above what the maitre d' and the owners expected, I was always rewarded. 
I was always rewarded. So the one up, one down principle I used throughout. After 16 and really getting it, I, I just use that principle. Um, if someone expected, let me show So the one up, here's an example. So the one up is I was expected to come in, um, know the know the menu, um, understand um, you know, some of the dish, the, the, the main dishes, and particularly the specials, and give the customer a good service, which really was centered around um, friendly smile and food on delivered to the table on time. Mm-hmm. That's what's expected, right? So here was my one up. I realized that um, I could use some of my talents to create a better experience. Like I would teach the, the if there were kids at the table, I would teach them Bahamian words, right? Things from that, that we would say um, when they ask for advice where to go. I would, I would give them, you know, more. Most of the time I would send them to where my mother works so that they can get a discount. They love that. They love the discounts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I learned magic tricks. So at the table I would make, you know, a coin disappear. Or I'd make, you know, the salt disappear. Or, you know, so all these little things. And so I enhance the, the expectation of service. And I, and I always, always, always got rewarded for it more than the other waiters to the mm-hmm. point where, where it was a problem and all the bus boys liked to work with me because I made more money. Mm-hmm. So that was the one up. Always go above and beyond. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that Mick Jagger statement, whatever is, whatever's worth doing is worth overdoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't, there's another story around the same sort of time when you were 15, wasn't there, about your, um, something about some expensive products that you were, you were doing. Um, yeah, my, I have a younger brother and when I was, you know, 14, I started working and, you know, my mother was making a lot of money. She was actually making 80 bucks a week. And, and so I helped out, you know, as I was the, I was the oldest boy in the house at the time. And, uh, so I, I basically washed cars, mm. um, in the summers and, and so there there were spots around the island where people would park you know parking lots that was like the you know, that was that was the, that was the hot spots where wherever there was a parking lot but you had to get in really good with the with the person overseeing the parking lot to use the you know the local water there and so so we would have our buckets and so the guys that were there would use for example to get a tire shine right today we have you know thousands of, of products that we would use um, to get a real nice black tire shine. Hmm. And, and during that time, we used dishwashing liquid, specifically Joy, because that's all we could really afford. Hmm. And so uh, there was one day when my brother was washing his car and I saw him put this stuff on, on his tires and his dashboard and I asked him what it was and it was Armor All. So the guys who were washing car, they didn't know either they didn't know or it was too expensive mm. and so i basically sacrificed a few lunches saved up um asked my brother where he got it from went to the store it was a uh, aid it was the name of the store i remember it just like yesterday i went there purchased a bottle and i took it home and put it in a unmarked bottle and so what would happen is that the customers a, a normal wash was between five and six dollars right mm. yeah 
So I would charge him four. Mm. And I would use armor all for the tire shine and the dashboard. Mm. So the customers started noticing like this. I wasn't using this joy stuff right on, on their, on their car. Mm. Um, it was something else, especially when, you know, Joey, you go through a puddle of water, it all just washes off. Mm. But, but, you know, armor all, it has like the silicone seal on it. So, so they noticed that, that, that something was different and I started to get more customers. So the other guys around who was washing cars, like, what are you doing? And I, what is in that bottle? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So no no one figured it out for Mm. a long time. And if, if someone, if I felt threatened, I would just move my location. I would move my operations to another spot, but my clients would follow me. Right. So. So, so, so it's just the investment in improving the quality of your product or service where you're able to drop your price, right? Just below. So you make a profit, mm-hmm. but, but just enough so that you're able to lure. And, and I didn't know what I was doing then, mm-hmm. but here's what I did. I developed a loyal customer base. So that wherever I was on the island, wherever my location was, customers would drive to me. Now, here's the deal. Normally, when we do a good job, you would get a you know a two dollar or three dollar, and maybe you know every once in a blue moon you'll get a five dollar tip. That's like double, you know, who mm-hmm. <laughs> you charge. Mm-hmm. So, but what was happening is that even though my cost was four dollars a buck below everybody else. Mm-hmm. I was getting tips of four dollars, and even to ten dollars. I remember this guy had this big. It was a a Nissan Patrol, a brown Nissan Patrol, the first mm-hmm. one on the island. I washed it. I did such a great job. The guy gave me ten dollars <laughs> along with the five bucks. So, so, so I think you know the lesson out of that is is. Don't be greedy to make a quick profit because steady customers, loyal customers, we call it, you know, brand loyalty, mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter what product you come up. Once that image is on that product or, or that service, people trust the quality of what's being delivered. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to incrementally the next year, I raised it up to, <clears throat> to $6 mm-hmm. and no one said a word. Mm-hmm. None of my clients complained at all. Hmm. So, um, matter of fact, one of my one of my customers, where I washed the cars, he actually was one of the five guys when I graduated high school had committed to a scholarship mm-hmm. for me to go to Georgia Tech. The lessons you learned there put you in good stead, and that's how you ended up doing stuff like such as Toys R Us and Walmart and, and so on. Yeah, it. I think it 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 allowed me to understand the basics of exchange, hmm. value, service, profit, customer service, price strategy, customer retention. All of these things is, is what I was learning. Mm. I just didn't have names for it. I didn't have the business terminology for it, but but they were all what I was learning. And I owe it all to to people 
who, who would always, when I gave extra, they always gave extra to me with some information or, or, or in the form of a tip. So mm. I, I owe it to those individuals. How long ago was it you were doing some stuff with Walmart? So, yeah. So currently I have a partner. Um, it's a, it's a, a restaurant uh, company, a friend of mine that owns uh, this part owner, uh, managing owner of, uh, of a brand, uh, Two Friends and Chef. Um, and uh, we did some work together, um, some animation stuff. And, and um, so she had a project that came across a table and went out and uh, had a had a, a meeting with Walmart and and um, you know in a short order she had the opportunity to have uh, her restaurants in um, all Walmart stores uh, for North America so that's mm-hmm. you know over four thousand locations mm-hmm. and so this happened really quickly and so she needed someone that you know understood branding at that level and so uh, hence you know the call to me and she told me about it I'm like it sounds really good so you know i'm in mm. so so basically the the two friends and the chef is a is a parent company that has about four or five different um types of restaurants um coffee cafe um asian um pizza italian Cajun. So, so they have those things. And so I was responsible for creating the look, the feel and the build out of, of the customer experience for, for each of these locations mm. um, and, and brands. So we erected the first one um, in Humble, Texas um, last year. So that's a, it's a kiosk right now in, in Humble, Texas. That's a kiosk of two friends and the chef. It's doing pretty well. So, and, um, so as, as spaces become available, uh, we had the opportunity to, to fill those slots in the Walmart retail spaces, um, with, uh, with our restaurants, whether it's a, it's a kiosk, which sits out on the floor next to the registers, or it's, uh, it's in one of the cube spaces. Mm. So, so yeah, there's a total now of four since we started that's, uh, that's up. And so that's been a, that's been an awesome, you know, opportunity to be able to, uh, to from you know conception, I mean they had logos, but they they weren't really you know ready for for that type of exposure. So there was other things that I needed to redesign and repurpose, and uh, so but that was a great project, and that's an ongoing project. So that's 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 an awesome, awesome, mm. awesome opportunity. Yeah. Well, and another project that sounds pretty exciting is um, you were flown to Algeria to, to help the government. So tell me more about that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So so ironically, uh, a friend of mine was, was doing some work with a cousin of his who uh, works with the U.S.-Algerian Business Council. Mm-hmm. And so uh, um, they, they were looking for some opportunities, wanted to see you you know, representative of Walmart come over and visit some of Algeria's uh, plants. They are very, first of all, Algeria is the largest country in Africa by landmass. They are 400 billion in reserves. Their, their economy is driven by gas and oil, Mm. but they've been in, in in the recent years, very interested in diversifying that, uh, the economy. So, um, uh, they they are very much keen on and focused on education. 
Um, so, so the millennials are all educated with master's degrees, but the challenge that they're having is there's, there's no opportunities in, in mass business for, you know, for blue collar workers, um, for the blue collar sector. Um, so, so they invested and partnered with entrepreneurs there to, uh, to get, um, you know, manufacturing for, for every different, um, division from car tires to, um, foods, um, to uh, rubber, uh, to cell phones and electronics, television. So they're, they're really going at it and they have the reserves to do that. So, so one of the things is that, of course, they, you know, they, after making products, they want to be able to export those products. So, so with my uh, involvement with Robosa, my comp, the company that I'm uh, partnered with, uh, with, uh, with the two friends and the chef, um, that gives me, um, you know, opportunity, uh, to, to make available um, some of the deals that we have on the table. So, so it was exploratory. We wanted to see what we had, uh, how, how we can help and be a part of this initiative. If there was anything there, Walmart is, is not doing any business in that region at all. Mm. So it was just near, you know, difficult for, for Walmart to go there or to, to make an appeal for Walmart to be in the region. So that's just not something that they're, um, on their radar at this time. Mm-hmm. So I basically look to see, Hey, what are the opportunities here? Um, you know, uh, as a country they've had, um, uh, we have a presence there. The U S has a presence there. We have a U.S. ambassador that lives uh, in the country. Um, uh, relationships are getting better, uh, with that region. And, um, and they're, they are very much interested in, in, in participating. So, so I looked at the opportunities and, and went over there, they, they paid. And so there are some branding challenges that I made mention of. Um, they don't have a, a core product yet. You know, they're, they're, they're focusing on just a wide range of just getting manufacturers up. And so, but, but how other countries were able to, you know, export something either through tourism, you know, like Egypt. Okay. You think of Egypt, you think of what? Pyramids, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Think of Hawaii. You think of what? Mountains, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Volcanoes and beaches, right? And uh, dancing Hulu girls, so there's all these imagery synonymous with why I should be involved or create a relationship with a region, a country, or people. And so, you know, Algeria has been this been this country that um, yeah, that's mistaking most people when I say, you know, they say, hey, I'm going to Algeria. They say, you mean Nigeria? Mm. <laughs> you know, and, and that's kind of it. Uh, it sits on the top of the continent of Africa, and a lot of people don't know about it. They had a bad rap because there were people in Al Qaeda that that uh, hid out in the country. Mm. Um, so, so they're trying to clean that up and to and and very much interested in in, in playing um, in the whole scheme of, uh, of uh, you know global economics. So, mm. I saw some opportunities and um, and made some some projections and and said, hey, you know, if 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 you guys are going to do something, you have to start with. Uh, you know, trying to rebrand the country. I have ideas on how that could be done. Um, you have uh, a wonderful country. The people was just so nice. I mean, it, it's amazing. It was like 
when you go into plants, it's all high tech. Mm. They have all of the technology. I mean, they're making cell phones for goodness sake, mm. right? They're, they're, and, and, and the quality of these, of these items are, I mean, it's excellent. It's exceptional. Mm. So, so I think they have all of the, you know, all of the components. So it's going to take, you know, another few years of really just getting into it and, and finding out how to position them uh, and what portal or brand or product that can start to, uh, to put the country on the map. And then from there, leverage that exposure so that other products and services could be exported and they can participate as, as, they, as they desire to. So, so that was the nature of my trip. Um, it was supported by the, um, by the Ministry of uh, Commerce. Uh, so so it was a, it was a well-attended um, meeting, opportunity to speak to the officials. Um, and, and more importantly, man, to meet the people and, and experience the culture. It was awesome. Mm. It was awesome. And there's not many people can say they've helped to rebrand a country. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Really- that's, uh, yeah. You know, uh, and I'm <laughs> walking away from it. I think Tony, that the reality of it really didn't hit me until later. It's like mm. here's an opportunity to actually not, I'm not branding a product. Mm. This is, this is a culture, a people, mm. You know, um, this is this is awesome. So that would in that lies the opportunity to work with, you know, their tourism board, um, the in, industrial uh, uh, community, the entrepreneurial community, so uh, the medical community to see all of the things that they have to offer, and, and so so that's an awesome. It's, it was it was great. It's just mm. a great project to be involved with. What are your um, what's your general thoughts about over delivering exceeding expectations, Delano? Actually, I have no thoughts on it. It's just something we should do. Mm. <laughs> it it makes the most sense out of all your business activities. Mm. The reason why is this: when we over deliver and under promise, we allow people to build a relationship with us based on extra value, Mm. right? Everyone pays for extra. Mm. You drive up to the window, you ask for a Coke at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And what do they say? Would you like the regular or the supersize? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why (laughs) they did that. So they're selling two and a half regular cups for every supersize just by making that available. We like bigger cars. We like bigger homes. Mm-hmm. We want more money. You're making 75000 this year. Okay, next year I want to make eighty-five. So we're always, always in search for full potential. Okay, I want a mile. Can I go a mile and a half? Mm-hmm. So that's something that's innate. And when we over-deliver, there is a congruence, a congruency that happens with that notion of going beyond. Mm-hmm. So no better place to do that than to give someone a service or a product that goes beyond. It, it's an instant rapport with the customer. If, the, if you've gone way above over the quality level for what they've paid for, 
okay, now you have a customer. Now you have to, now, you know, there, there's pros and cons with that, as it is with everything, because you have some people who will just take advantage of that, those opportunities, as opposed to people who, who are interested in creating a long-term uh, mm-hmm. relationship. And, and as we get, you know, deeper and deeper into the short attention span, you know, fueled by social media and this dopamine feedback, it's more difficult for marketers and branders like myself to establish, you know, that fifth level of branding, which is brand um, loyalty. Mm-hmm. It's, it becomes a little bit more difficult with that because people now just want to get the quick hit, the quick service and the quick this and the quick that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 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 but the upside of that is there's so many people that's just creating, you know, no frills products. Right. And, and, uh, you know, cookie cutter products that I think we're entering now into that time where it's, okay, um, I want to look like everybody else. Can you give me something unique? Can you give me something customized? Right. Mm. Even the cookie cutter websites that say, you know, get a logo in two seconds. Mm. <laughs> now, now they're adding modules so that people can figure out and do it themselves. And I had a customer come to me and say, you know, you were charging me four thousand dollars for an identity package and that was just a logo and the different versions of it mm-hmm. he said so i went online and i i made a logo mm-hmm. and i paid a hundred bucks for it mm-hmm. and then he says i saw a logo that you did for a competitor <laughs> and, he said, and he understood why because when we design and we go over and above with an identity. It's it's under the consideration that this identity has to be used in multiple environments. And when he designed the logo online, the no frills version, he only got something for what he needed. Mm-hmm. It was it didn't have the agility to move into many different environments and still maintain the integrity of the of the visual uh, narrative of what that brand was. So, so he came back to me and he says, "I get it." Uh, okay, so how much is it going to cost me? I say it's going to be it's going to be six thousand now. <laughs> hmm. So, so at the end of the day, and they paid it by the way. So, so at the end of the day, um, over overachieving is should be everyone's daily motivation mm-hmm. to see how far you can go. Mm-hmm. And to deliver that to a customer so that they see your commitment to not just excellence today, but striving to be excellent for tomorrow. Well, that was uh, superb, Delano. So if, if people want to find out more about you and your services and what you do, where, where's the best places for them to look? You know, um, first of all, uh, it, IG, um, Instagram, you can check me out on my Instagram page. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's information there on my Facebook page. It's all at Delano A. Johnson, D-E-L-A-N-O, like the hotel. Mm-hmm. Delano A. Johnson, all one word. Yep. Um, as well as, you know, you can go in. Uh, a lot of my principles uh, are in my book. You know, if you look Talented and Broken, you can go to uh, talentedandbroke.com. And um, I lay out a lot of principles of, uh, that, that helps entrepreneurs and creative people and multi-talented people. So uh, those two places, uh, all my social handles at, at Delano P. Johnson, uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time, Delano. And oh, um, this, I, this has been awesome. Too. And best of luck with, with your business. Thank you. Appreciate it, man.
Bye bye. Next week's episode, episode 41, is with Dillis Guyan. She's an international sales and marketing leader, a coach, and a keynote speaker. And if you'd like to discover how to attract more business clients, then this could be the episode for you. She's done quite a few things in her life. She's uh, got a profit-boosting strategy session she's going to talk about, and also 21 surefire ways to find your ideal clients. Um, and she talks about uh, she does a, a regular mastermind in Paris, and uh, she's a lifelong learner. We're going to find out much more about Dillis in next week's episode. Hope you have a fantastic week and see you then.